You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series, Planted. We are walking our people through how to cultivate a life of meditation that leads to encouragement and hope. Today's scripture reading is Psalm 1, 1 through 6. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff, and the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord, everyone. And if I have not seen you, Merry Christmas. I hope you had a, a good Christmas. I know that it's been a bit complicated this year. Um, as we enter into our time of sitting under God's Word, I just want to bring up something really important. This is a very important Sunday, and it's because it's the last Sunday of 2020. Can I get an amen? Amen. So magically, what's going to happen by next Sunday is everything's going to be perfectly normal when we come back together. I'm just kidding. If you hear me, like, I'm just kidding, okay? Uh, just because we change seasons and we change years doesn't mean things go back to normal, sadly. However, I want to encourage you as believers to embrace hope. What the new year allows us to do to embrace hope, and I know that sounds really difficult, near impossible, but we need to remember that because we have Jesus, we have hope. With each passing day, with each passing year, we can have hope. So whether you want to remember this year or you want to forget it, we can embrace tomorrow with hope. Today we start in a three-week sermon series called Planted. The, The idea of this series is that we are in encouraging you to plant your life into God's Word. As we were thinking about doing our our sermon preparation, what are we going to do for the year? We wanted to encourage our people to root their lives in God's Word, to start the year right by coming to God's Word and to, to find our lives rooted in here. So what we're longing to see is as we root our lives in God's Word, that God's Word becomes a consistent, constant companion. So no matter what life throws at you, no matter what is coming in 2021, if we plant our lives deep in the scriptures, our days will be marked with hope and flourishing. Not without tragedy, not without suffering, but it will be marked with hope. So let's pray together. Fathers, we come together and as we open our Bibles to Psalm chapter one, as we read over its pages, Father, I pray that we don't just see hardship, that we don't just experience the sufferings of this year, but we see hope and a better way. Father, give us courage to look forward to what the psalm calls us to, a way of life, a way of hope, a way of joy. May this be our way, Lord. May we experience you this year in ways we never have. Father, we know that the way of suffering and the way of difficulty are often experienced by believers. And in those moments, we can experience you in deep and significant ways. It's in your name I pray. Amen. 
So early as a Christian, I came to faith as a teenager and, and early as a Christian, I had men take the time to invest in me, to disciple me. And I am forever thankful. And early in those years, I, I learned this idea of memorizing scripture. Now, not that I have done it well since then, um, but I have done it at times. And, and one of the things I did early on in my Christian life is I memorized Psalm 1. So as we're thinking about these next three weeks, um, the men who will be preaching are often preaching to texts and passages that are significant in their life. So as I, I read Psalm 1, as we sit in Psalm 1, Psalm 1 has in many ways shaped my life. It shaped my life. I came from a broken home, a non-Christian home, and the path before me was a path of destruction and decay. Yet God offered something better. He offered a path of hope and life. And that's what Psalm sets out before us. But Psalm 1 is more than just um, a path of life. It's more than just the first Psalm. It's actually an introduction to all the Psalms. You see, as uh, the, the Psalter was being put together, they put Psalm 1 at the beginning because it really pictures what is going to happen in all the Psalms. And it gives an invitation to its readers to embrace the way of life. And that's what, that's what Psalm 1 does. Is it, it asks us, its readers, to consider two roads. The, the first road is a way of flourishing and joy. And the second road is a road that leads to decay and death. And that's the imagery we see. There's, a, there's an agricultural imagery here. And our passage this morning is, is inviting us to the good path, to the right path, to the path of godliness. It's inviting us to plant our lives deep into God's word because that is the way of flourishing. So as we plant our lives in God's word, we will flourish. Look back at verse one, Psalm one. Blessed is he or happy is he. This, this word in the original language in Hebrew could be translated either one, to be blessed or to be happy. And either way you translate it, it's a word that has strong emotion behind it, right? It's not like I'm, I'm happy, I'm blessed. It's strong. It's oh, the happiness. Oh, the joy. It's like pouring out of the psalmist's life because he's, he's giving us a picture into the, the emotions and the life that those who follow this psalm experience. Oh, the happiness of one who avoids the life of the wicked and embraces the life of the godly. The word happy here can, can first throw us off, right? Because in our, our context, happy often has this connotation of a fleeting experience, right? It's this temporal emotion that comes and goes as our circumstances change. But this word here, this word blessed or happy in Psalm 1 has, has a stronger meaning. It packs more of a punch because the idea of being happy is found throughout all the scriptures. I just pulled out a couple just to show you. It's, it's all over. Psalm 32, verse one. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Psalm 42. Blessed, or blessed is the one who considers the poor. And then Matthew 5, which we've gone back to over and over again over the years. Blessed, is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you know, there are a lot of beatitudes but what the text gives us, what, what the, the scripture is unpacking is, is the way of the good life, the way of the happy life. Blessed are those who root their lives, their, their way of life in God. Because being truly happy is, is more than just passing emotion. It's more than just passing, passing circumstance. The, the good life or the life of flourishing is rooted in a way of life that is not easily shaken by circumstances. 
Now hear me, it doesn't mean that we don't experience anxiety or depression or we struggle with sadness. That's not what I'm talking about here. But the, the way, the consistent pattern, the way of life of the believer of Jesus who roots their life in Scripture is there's a steady rock to be found on. We're not shaken to and fro by the wind and the waves. This idea of being blessed or happy in the Scripture is often connected to the way we live, the path we choose to follow. So if you want to be happy, I'll ask for a show of hands. I don't need to. I assume everyone in this room and on on the screen here wants to be happy, right? Who doesn't want to be happy? If we want to be full of joy and experience deep happiness, then what the psalmist has to say is significant. So let's listen. Let's listen up to what the psalmist has to say. First of all, in verse one, the psalmist gives us insight into what we don't want to do, the life we don't want to embrace, because there are things that those who flourish do not do. Verse one, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. So we don't walk with the wicked. We don't stand in the way of sinners and we don't sit in the company of mockers. There's this progression of life aligned with the sinful that we're called not to do, to avoid. So we don't wanna live a life opposed to God and opposed to his ways because a life like that cannot and will not flourish because its roots are planted in the wrong place. Its roots are planted in the wrong place. Now, I want to be clear here. What God is not telling us to do is to isolate ourselves from society, from our Christian friends and create communes. Don't do that after this sermon. That's not what he's calling us to do. We have a a beautiful and life-changing picture of the life and ministry of Jesus who lived distinctly different, right? He lived among the poor and the broken and the needy and those who live lives of sin. But hear me, he did not plant his roots among them. What I mean by that is he, he loved them. He was a friend of sinners. He um, invested in them. He invited them into a better way of life, but he didn't seek their counsel. He did not walk in their ways. He was distinctly different. And that's the life we're called to as believers. We're called to live that life as well. We're called to, to love those around us deeply, to point others to Jesus, to experience him, but we're called to live a life that pleases God. Life that pleases God. What does that look like? And someone unpacks that, the life of the godly, the one who flourishes in this life. Verse two gives us a picture into this type of life. Those who flourish delight in God's word. Now, we're gonna camp out really in verse two and three for most of our sermon today because it's so rich. Those who, who seek to flourish in this life delight in God's word. But what does that even mean to delight in something? To delight in something means to take pleasure in it, to experience joy and enjoyment in a thing. We can all think of saying uh, something or someone or some experience that we have delighted in. Maybe you've woken up early in the morning and you look out over the mountains and you see the sun rise over the mountains and you experience this inward delight in God's creation. That's delight. Or maybe you are married and you've, you have a child and you hold your newborn child and you experience something that's inexpressible. This joy fills your heart and it rushes to your fingertips and your toes and it just changes the way you experience the good gifts of life. That is delight. Or maybe when we finally see a loved one that we haven't seen for months and years and we laugh through the night and we hope the, the hours of the night cease so that we can experience that person's presence. That's delight. I love this story last week um, of this couple 
It's an 89-year-old woman named Jean, and her husband is 91-year-old Walter. They've been married for 70 years. Isn't that crazy? 70 years. But sadly, they've been separated because of COVID. They've not seen each other for this whole length of COVID. And just last week, they were reunited. And uh, if, you, if you've not seen it, I encourage you to go watch the video. It's really powerful. But they were uh, able to come together and be united. And uh, the nurses said that they couldn't stop kissing. They just kissed and kissed and kissed. And you can see that is an expression of delight, delight to embrace the wife of your youth, the husband of your youth that you've lived your entire life with, that you've been separated with, the, the love that flows into you. This is the light. And this is how we're called to experience God through his word. Like lovers who have been separated, coming together. We all have moments and memories like this. We experience things that are unexplainable to others. Moments that fill us with pleasure and joy. And the psalmist tells us that those who flourish in this life, they plant their roots deep in God's word and they delight in it. They delight in it. Now, I know this may be a different picture for us, right? But the invitation to us is to delight in the Bible like Gene and Walter delighted in being together. That's our invitation to us. Now, I know for many of us, this is a struggle we find it hard to delight in the Bible because we struggle to even crack the spine and to read its pages. I am not condemning you. I am saying I am one of you. It, sometimes it is difficult to, to get in the daily habit of reading God's word. So when I call you to delight in God through his word, it's hard. It's hard to take joy in reading God's word sometimes. But let me ask you, how do you take delight in something that you don't pursue? I bet Gene and Walter have pursued each other for 70 years. So after 70 years of marriage, the delight just pours out. How do we take delight in something that we don't cherish and pursue? You see, delighting in the scriptures is more than a periodic practice. It's more than emotion, though it can definitely be emotion. Delighting in the scriptures is a way of life. I want us to step back from that and think about that. Delighting in the scriptures is a way of life. We delight in the Bible because it contains God's very words to us. And I know you've heard this before. God's words, the Bible is a love letter to his children to experience and to know him. When we step into the pages of the Bible, we have an opportunity to interact with the creator and sustainer of the universe. It's amazing. It's amazing to think about that we can take delight in the Bible because we experience God through its pages. That's why we can take delight in it because we see and know God through his word. And experiencing delight in God's word is not a passive activity. We must intentionally develop rhythms and habits of our life so that we can sit in and soak up the scriptures. It doesn't just happen. It takes effort and energy to delight in God's word. And if you find that you struggle to delight in the Bible, take heart. There's hope. There's hope. One way we do this of like delighting in God's word and enjoying it and experiencing God in deeper ways is through meditating on God's word. And that's what verse uh, two and three talk about is meditating on God's word. Now, often when we talk about meditation, I think there's a misunderstanding. And maybe you, you hear meditation, you're like a little creeped out by that. Like, when I see and experience meditation, it's not in the form of Christianity. Because often when we, when we hear the word meditation, we assume uh, Eastern meditation because that's what would be popular in our culture. 
So let me just unpack this for a second. Eastern meditation is this idea of emptying our mind of all the thoughts and distractions in order to reach a state of peace and relaxation and uh, focused attention. We want to empty our minds, right? That's Eastern meditation. This concept has become extremely popular uh, through morphed concepts like um, mindfulness, relaxation. But these ideas are really found in Buddhism and Eastern uh, faiths. Now, we could all relax a little bit more, right? So breathe deep, take in those things. But there is a difference between Eastern meditation and Christian meditation. I learned this firsthand living in Asia. My wife and I lived overseas for a few years, and I remember meeting Norbu. Norbu was a Tibetan Christian. There's not a lot of them, but I met Norbu, who's a Tibetan Christian, and heard his testimony. He had this powerful testimony. Before he became a follower of Jesus, he was a, a, a Buddhist monk. And Buddhist monks, part of what they do is they meditate. And one of the things that serious monks would do, and even uh, Buddhists, is they would enter into this elongated season of meditation. So my friend Norbu meditated for three years, three months, and three days. And he tells the story of uh, not talking to anyone. He did it in silence and solitude. Three months, three years, three months, and three days. And he tells me later of his journey that his, his journey in Eastern meditation and Buddhist meditation was not life-giving. In fact, it was harmful. He talks about um, emptying his mind of all desires and distractions and thoughts. But when his mind was clear, it didn't stay clear. Because he talks of clearing his mind, what rushed in were experiences with demonic visions and dreams. When he emptied his mind, it did not stay empty because it was filled with evil spirits. And we shouldn't be surprised as Christians, right? We read the Bible and that's what happens here. And it was a terrifying experience for my friend. And that experience with, with demonic spirits and oppression um, led him to faith in Jesus. He began to ask questions about Tibetan Buddhism. Is this really peaceful? Is this really life-giving? And then he met a Christian and he heard about the true life giver in Jesus. You see, Norbu's experience taught him that simply emptying his mind of all distractions and desire did not bring lasting delight. In fact, it brought fear and dread. What he needed to do was to fill his mind with something else, something better where he had spent years emptying his mind. When he came to Jesus, he was filled up with the Spirit and he has a committed life to filling his mind with the Word of God, something good and life-giving. And that is Christian meditation. Christian meditation is filling our mind with God's words, His ways, and His character. It's thinking deeply about God and who He is. I love how A.W. Tozer talks about it. He writes in The Pursuit of God, Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I want to want more of thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made thirstier still. Did you see that phrase? Tozer is both satisfied in God and he's longing for more of him. And that's what Christian meditation is. That's the invitation that we're called to experience as we fill our minds and our hearts with the person of God and the words he's given to us, we experience God in greater ways and we desire him to greater lengths. Meditating on God's word and who he is gives us a craving and a thirst for more. 
Do you know what we call this? This longing to long for more of God. That is desire. You want to know what desire for God is? It's experiencing Him and not being satisfied. It's Moses um, longing for God's image to pass by, even at the point of death for him, longing to experience God. That is delight. It's delight when we want more of God. So as we think of this this. Uh, a word here of meditation. The original word actually means to chew on. I find this really interesting. Um, during Corona, my family and I got a poodle. It's not a poodle like this. It's a poodle like this. Um, and one of the things our poodle Pickle does, his name's Pickle. It's awesome. My kids named it. Is you give him a bone and he disappears, right? And he just chews and chews and chews. It gets really annoying after a while. And th- this concept of meditation is like my dog chewing on a bone. He, he becomes obsessed with it. It's his prized bone. He protects it at all costs. You could say meditation is also like a cow who chews his food over and over and over and over again. And he's chewing his food so he gets all the nutrients out of that grass or whatever he's eating. So whether it's a dog chewing a prized bone or a cow chewing his food over and over again to get the nutrients out, that is the image we have from this word about what meditation is. We take it in. We chew on it over and over again in our minds. We let it soak into our bones and we come back to it often. The the word of God is not something to just to be read and we move on from. We read it, we bury it in our hearts. We let it flow through our blood. We bring it back over and over again. That's what meditation is. We hide God's word in our heart and we sit in it. I love what one poet says about reading a good, good poem. He writes, the reader does not always remain bent over its pages. He often leans back and he closes his eyes over a line he has been reading again and its meaning spreads through his blood. That's what it means to delight in God's word, just to slow down, to embrace the love and beauty of God in the text. And that's what a a picture of meditation can be. God inviting us to slow down, to interact with the scriptures, to take it in and to let it sit with us. Now we think about meditation, meditating on God's word. There's, there's all kinds of things we could talk about, um, but I do want us to get practical here. I think that's helpful. And we need some disciplines to develop in our lives so that we can have tools to meditate on God's word. Here's just a few I would suggest. Number one, create a daily habit, big or small, short or long of reading God's word. Now, I'm not trying to condemn you here because you hear that and you're like, oh, I need to read my Bible more. That's what I'm, what I'm trying to say is invite you. If you're a busy mom and you get like 30 seconds to yourself, read a verse. If you have a lot more time, read bigger chunks of scripture. But the focus here is I want us to focus on is develop a daily rhythm of intaking God's word. Every day you're intaking God's word. You're sitting in it. You're thinking about it throughout the day. Number two, take a bite of God's word, just a few verses and chew on them throughout the day. Maybe it's Proverbs 3, 5, 6, and 7. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your understandings, but in all of your ways delight in him. Just sit on it. You just sit on it. You just think about it. You bring it to your mind. Third way, memorize verses and whole chapters of scripture. I talked a little bit about this. But as you memorize them, you can pull them out and chew on them. Chew on them, sit in them. 
You know, I, I did this this week very often. Christmas is often a time of joy and happiness. Uh, but over the last few years, our family's experienced a lot of tragedy around Christmas. I've lost um, parents and others, and I experienced some sadness during the season. So as I'm sitting in bed or I'm driving alone, these uh, experiences of sadness and anxiety will hit me. And I go back to scripture. I, I quote Psalm 1, I quote Psalm 39. I quote other passages that I have memorized. These are passages that I've hidden in my heart. And you know what happens? God meets me in those moments where his word is present. You see that memorizing God's word allows us to run to scripture in the highs and the lows of life. Because when we hide God's word in our heart, we have tools to fight our spiritual battles. So think about it that way. Hide God's word in your heart so you can pull it out and you can fight the enemy. Number four, periodically, I would encourage you to do deeper studies of longer sections and topics. There may be some theological point that you need to wrestle with yourself. Go deep into the Bible. Dig deep, pull out rich nuggets. Or maybe there's, there's books and sections that you want to dig into. Number five, pray through passages. This is a really life-giving exercise. Maybe you're stuck in your prayer life or you just want to do something different. Take a psalm or take a chapter in the New Testament and just begin to pray through it line by line and allow the text to give you insight as you pray to the Lord. One last thought about the idea of meditation before we move on is um, as we think about these things, it's not a checklist to follow. Do this and do this and do this. Instead, delighting in God's word is a life to be embraced. It's a way of life that we live. We read it. We think on it day and night. That means consistently, constantly. We memorize it. We litter it with our language as we talk to others. We, we root both our hopes and our fears in God's word, and it brings us joy. And the psalmist here, as he talks about delighting in God's word, he gives us a vivid picture of those who meditate on God's word. He says, they will be like a tree planted by flowing streams. Let's go back to verse three. I want to read that for us. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Trees are a fascinating thing. They're everywhere. You probably have one in your yard or in your apartment complex. Um, and trees are also a popular image in the Bible. Other than God and people, trees are the most mentioned living thing in scripture. There are trees on the first chapter of Genesis, the last chapter of Revelation, and everywhere in between. It is a very popular image and picture within the scripture. In fact, nearly one third of the sentences in the Bible contain a tree. Think about that. Every third sentence contains a tree. It's evident that God loves trees and that he loves to use trees as an image to communicate truth. And in this specific instance, he takes a tree planted by water and he says, if you follow the way of life, if you embed your life in God's word, you're this tree. You're a strong tree planted by waters that gets its nutrients. Even when the droughts come and the desert comes and these difficult things come, you will have life. Your leaf will not wither. That's the image he gives us of those who are godly and follow him. There's so many different things that we could consider about this image, but I just want to point out a couple truths we see from the text. Number one, the tree in verse three is not simply a wild oak that happens to be planted by rivers. That's not what's happening here. No, this tree has been carefully planted 
by a river of water to provide life in the driest season. And listen, friends, your life is not happenstance. As a follower of Jesus, God has planted your life by a stream flowing of living water. You have access to living water. John chapter four. Jesus tells this woman at the well, I can give you water will you will never, never thirst again. And she says, I want it. I want that water. Give me that water. That's the invitation we experience as a tree, a Christian planted by Jesus himself to experience the water that does not end. Even when life is impossibly hard, like it is for many of us today in this very moment, we can thrive because our roots go down deep. They go down deep. So we're not a wild oak. We have been been planted by a masterful gardener. Number two, growth takes time. I don't know if you knew this. I learned this in my study this week. Uh, Trees don't grow overnight. I joke when I say that. Um, I grew up in a part of the country. We lived on a little piece of land and on our land, we had a lot of dogwood trees. I don't know if you know a lot about dogwood trees, but they're beautiful. Actually, when you come in the building uh, in the spring, that tree out there is a dogwood with big, beautiful white petals or pink. It's white or pink. There's multiple kinds of dogwood, but it's this beautiful tree. But that tree is actually really, really old because dogwood trees grow very slowly. Uh, Their rings are very, very tight. It's a really hardwood tree. And a dogwood gives us a picture of the, the slow growth of a tree. Other trees grow faster than that. But trees take time to dig roots. They take time to shape into those beautiful images, those the beautiful shapes that they take, and they take time to mature as a tree. You know, uh, two years ago, my wife and I celebrated our 10-year anniversary, and we flew out to California, and we went to the Redwood National Forest. And we love trees. We grew up uh, kind of in the foothills of the Smokies, uh, but I had never seen a tree like that. I don't know if you know much about redwoods, but uh, redwoods are the tallest tree in the world. Some of them can grow over 300 feet tall, which is very tall. Um, Some of them they estimate are up to 3,000 years old, 3,000 years old. So that's not me, but I, I did stand in a place like that. As I stand below these trees and there's so, you can't get your arm around them. You've seen pictures where cars are like driving through hollowed out uh, redwood trees. As, I, as you look up and as you see the circumference and the size, it's important to remember that that redwood did not grow overnight. And Christian, you do not grow into maturity overnight. Growing into a rooted, life-giving, fruit-producing tree takes time. And I say that to bring you encouragement. When you stumble, when you fail, Christian, the Lord is faithful. It takes time to grow into maturity. So if you are discouraged today, do not lose heart. God is growing you into a beautiful, life-giving tree. Number three, trees bear fruit. Well, not all of them, but in this passage specifically, this tree bears fruit, right? And trees are planted by waters. They don't fail to produce fruit because they have a source of life and of food. And we as Christians are called to be trees planted by living waters that also produce fruit. That promises for us. If we root our life in scripture, our life will produce fruit, full stop. Your life will be fruit producing, not just fruit, but fruit that lasts 
Because the, the scripture here, when it talks about whatever he does prospers, it's not talking about if you're starting a business or you're going back to school or whatever it may be. It's not talking about that prosperity. Again, it goes back to the tree, the prosperity of a maturing tree that grows and spreads out its arm and produces fruit, fruit like Galatians chapter six, fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, or the fruit of the spirit as found in Matthew five. Think about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are not a checklist to follow, they're a reflection of a life that's been changed. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the Lord. How are you meek? You are changed. You're a fruit bearing tree. The prophet Jeremiah gives the same imagery in Jeremiah chapter 17. But blessed is the one who trusts the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. It leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Doesn't mean we don't stumble. It doesn't mean we don't have a hard year. But the promise is as believers, we will bear fruit. And this vision of a tree planted by flowing streams should give us hope as Christians. Gives us hope to the life we have been called to. But this promise is not for everyone. Not everyone experiences the life-giving nature of being a tree. You see, for those who plant their lives in anything other than God and His Word, their life produces decay and death. The opposing path in life that's pictured here, if you go back to verse 3, or sorry, verse 4, the wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. So the psalmist gives us another image, not of the tree, but of a chaff. A, a chaff is a husk around a grain or a piece of rice. So most of us didn't grow up on farms. We're not from agricultural societies. But when I did live overseas, where I lived, there were um, rice paddies everywhere. And you could see uh, people in the fields would take the rice or they would take the wheat and they would beat it. And as they're beating it, what they're doing is they're trying to break up the chaff from the grain and the grain falls because it's heavy. It has, has density. It, uh, there's, there's something to it. And uh, the winnowing process, that's the winnowing process as they're beating the grain. You can see there, um, it falls down. And this lady, she's throwing up the grain and the shaft. And when the wind catches the shaft, it blows it away. The crazy thing, it doesn't have to be a windy day. There don't have to be wind gusts. Just the natural blowing of the wind blows it away. Because shaft is, as it falls off, it is a, a, a rootless, a worthless uh, thing. It's not used for anything. And that's the image uh, that we're given here. We're, we're given the image of a tree that's deeply rooted by a water source. It stands tall in a forest. It gives light, it gives shade, it displays life. But the shaft is empty and used for nothing. Its end is simply to be blown away by the slightest of wind. That's not the life we want, people. That's not the life that we want because the end of those who plant their lives in anything other than God and anything other than His Word is to be blown away by the wind. It's decay and death. So no matter what we commit our lives to, no matter what good deeds we have, no matter what path we may take, if it's not rooted in Jesus and His Word, our end, according to verse five and six, is judgment and destruction. We can't get away from this. We love choices in this life. If I go down the aisle in Kroger, I have a thousand choices of cereal. 
if I sit down with my wife to watch a show on Netflix, I have almost 6,000 choices, right? If I leave my house and I want to get a cup of coffee, there are two dozen great coffee shops within a few miles. But real life, the deep things of life, like our eternity, don't work that way. Matthew 7 says we have two choices. We have the, the, the narrow path and the broad road. And the narrow path leads to life. But the broad road is judgment and destruction. So if you're listening today and you're not a Christian, you should feel a weight that, that your end cannot be good because your roots are planted in the wrong place. But there is hope because this path is not exclusive. Um, it is offered to you the path of life when you find your life in Jesus. Come, come. Believe that Jesus died for you. He rose again and he gives you his life. But if you are a Christian today, let me ask you, are you experiencing the planted life, the fruitful life, the flourishing life? Psalm 1 is not meant to bring condemnation, but invitation. Not, you're not good enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You're not faithful enough. The, Psalm 1 is supposed to invite you to the good life, to the faithful road, to the life-giving road. We're invited to experience God as we delight in and we meditate on his word. And as we do this, we will be like a strong tree, deeply planted. Jeremiah 17 says, our roots move toward the water, toward the water that gives us a source of life. And then if we do that, if we're a tree that's planted, we have fruit that lasts. Psalm 1 is an invitation to, a, a, to live a life the way it's intended to be lived, the way we were created to live. And as we look at the beginning of Genesis, we see a tree in the garden, right? A garden that was perfect in every way, but because of sin and rebellion, our world is broken. We're all affected, including trees. And as you go to the last chapter of Revelation, Revelation 22, we see the, the new Jerusalem, the garden restored, and we see trees living in that restored garden. And everywhere in between, everywhere in between, these two gardens, we see an invitation for you and I, an invitation to flourish in God's world. So as we look to 2021, I wanna encourage you to make meditation and memorization, memorization of God's word a way of life. It's an opportunity for us to grow in our walk with Jesus. And I wanna give us three things to embrace in 2021. So if you're writing things down, I encourage you to write these things down. Number one, find a reading plan and stick with it. Now, you may love to read through the Bible in a year, praise the Lord. You, it may take you two years to read through the Bible, or you may find a plan where you're reading through the New Testament. Again, it's not as much about the length of time, but reading God's word every day as you are able. Number two, I wanna encourage you to choose a Psalm to memorize on it, memorize it and to chew on it all year long. Whether it be Psalm 1 or Psalm 42, if you wanna do Psalm 119, praise the Lord, you're amazing. But take it in, let it soak into your bones, chew on it. And as you go throughout the year, the ups and downs, you bring it back, you pull it out, you fight your spiritual battles with it. And then number three, I just wanna invite you to learn more about the practice of spiritual meditation. There's all kinds of resources out there. So with all these, the, the reading plan, uh, with choosing a Psalm to memorize, and then with learning about Christian meditation, uh, in the email this week, if you're a member of regular tender, we're gonna put some resources in there that you can go to. And uh, as you're setting, whether you set New Year's resolutions or, or life rhythms and habits, you can Im 
embed some of those um, memorization things in there. So as we think about what does it mean to be the children of God rooted by flowing streams to, to branch out to produce fruit, let's close in prayer asking the Lord to meet us in this moment. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.